Hey, you're listening to the Grace Auburn Church Podcast. In this week's sermon, Lee Cadden preaches on John chapter 1, verses 1 through 13 in our sermon series, Jesus, the Glory of Grace and Truth. Well, we are, as I, as I mentioned at the beginning of the, of the service, we are beginning a new series on the book of John. And as we were having dialogue about what are we what are we really trying to communicate over the course of these next two months? It kind of came back to this idea that Jesus is the glory of grace and truth revealed to us in the person of himself as representing the Father in his fullness. And so Matt, when he was in Jerusalem earlier uh, this year, took this picture uh, on the street where Jesus actually would have walked. Obviously, it looks different t- today than it did then, but Jesus walked down this street, and then the debated sites of his crucifixion are kind of at the end of this road where you have to take a left or a right. But this picture was incredibly pertinent and, and just kind of right on in, in that on the left side, you have a bunch of Muslim guys all gathered together and talking, and on the right side, you have a Jewish guy riding a bike. And kind of the convergence of the cultures of Jerusalem today. And while Jerusalem looks and is very different than Auburn, Alabama, and in many places around the world, the reality is all of us have to come face to face with the fact that Jesus is who he says he is or he's not if we don't want to believe that. And we have to deal with that in our life. And the way that John communicates Jesus' interactions with people is just completely different than the other three Gospels. Over and over and over again, Jesus, by revealing the truth about who God was, kind of communicates who the Father is and what He's like through everything He says and everything He does. So this idea of grace and truth kind of coming full on in and through the glory of the person of Jesus Christ is how we have to reconcile our life against His. We have to look at our own shortcomings. We have to look at our own brokenness. We have to look at our own pain. And we have to look at how Jesus would have interacted with us if we were the ones on that street with him that day or if we were the ones in the stories that Jesus tells over the course of these first 12 story, or these first twelve chapters of the book of John. So we're going to be in John chapter 1 today. If you have your Bible and you want to go ahead and turn there, you can do that. And if you're here today and don't have a Bible we would love to give you one. So make sure if you don't have a Bible and you want one, you can stop at the welcome desk on your way out, along with all of our other books and resources that we're giving away. We would love to give you a copy of Scripture as well. So I want to read the first few verses, and then we'll talk about what Jesus is doing or what John is saying about Jesus. It says this in John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So the glory of Jesus is communicated in a way here that reminisces back to Genesis 1, right? In the beginning, God. In the beginning, Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, the Word obviously here is Jesus Himself, Jesus being the Word of God spoken and living and created in a person. And, but also at the same time, it talks about in verse 3 that in Him was life, or in verse 4, in Him was life. This is not life like you and I get life. This was basically uh, the, John's way of saying that in Him was everything that has ever been. In Him was everything that is uncreated. In him was life to be given to others, not life that was given to him the same way that it was to us. Begotten is the word in the original language of having always existed in a way that only God can. 
So Jesus, if we read these first four verses, John explains some things that are kind of out of this world, and a lot of it is mysterious, and a lot of it is unknowable, but a lot of it at the same time is knowable in terms of how we approach Jesus when reading John's gospel. It says that Jesus is the Son, and He is eternal, that He has always existed, that He's always been. But at the same time, He's always existed. He's also always been unique to the Father. It says that He was with God, and He was God. So there's, a, there's already in John's gospel this pointing to the trinity of who God is, that there is a father and there is a son, and Jesus over the course of his life is going to continually point to the coming of the Spirit of God that would carry out the work of the church beyond his physical life in this world. He was always existed. Colossians 1.17, Paul puts it this way, that he is before all things. That before there was creation, before there was the beginning, he was existing from the very beginning, before him was all things. And in verse 4 it says, in him was life. Essentially saying that everything that would have life would come out of the one who is the author and creator of life. This word of God, this logos is the Greek word. The, the, the word spoken by God, revealing himself to the people. There's an incredible amount of mystery. There's an incredible amount of unknown, but this is what we do know is that Jesus has always existed and that he is the son and that he is both God and unique from the father, that they have always existed together. And then the third thing that we find out about Jesus is that he was the creator of all things. So if you're like me, when you tend to think about creation, you don't put Jesus in creation. At least I don't. I tend to think of this kind of amoeba-like presence of the Spirit, and that's the only person who was, that's a weird word to talk about God, right? But this kind of, just kind of floating presence over the darkness that we read in Genesis. But it says here, and in many places throughout Scripture, that it was through Jesus and through His words spoken at creation that things came into existence. So Jesus has always existed, and he's always existed as unique but with the Father in eternity, and that he is the creator of all things. That is the third thing that we will learn in these first few verses. And the last one is that Jesus is the source of all light and life. Not just physical light and life, though that is true, but there's a spiritual component that John is already starting to unpack for us here at the very beginning of his gospel. And so if you like swimming but don't like to jump into the deep end, here we go, right? Like John, from the very beginning, is talking about things that we don't fully understand and have never fully understood, but he's trying to paint a picture here of the glory of Jesus from the very beginning. Without using words that are, are typical to any other writer of the gospel, John is painting a picture here that is putting Jesus in a completely different and other place. As we approach this story of his birth, of his life, of his crucifixion, and of his eventual resurrection and through the church that he would make. Jesus, John says, is the source of all light and life. Over the course of these next nine weeks, we're going to continually look at Jesus and the way that he interacted with people and the things that he said. And so oftentimes, Jesus presents truth in a way that's uncomfortable, and we have to reconcile our life against it. But at the same time, in revealing who God is by speaking truth, Jesus also, in ways that only Jesus could do, interacts with people in a, such a gracious and compassionate way, and yet firm and direct and bold at the same time. I tend to get the direct and the bold and not so much the gracious and compassionate in my own life most times. But Jesus so perfectly strikes this balance between this is who God is, and this is who I am, and this is what it means 
to not be with him. And the glory is that Jesus, who has always existed, who has always been with the Father, who has always been God, who is uncreated, who does have the source of all life and light, the glory is that he would leave all of that and come here and be born just like we were born, that we might know him and the Father in a way that only he could reveal him to us. Our hope in these nine weeks is that we will repeatedly look into the eyes of Jesus and recognize a deeper and deeper and deeper love for us than we could ever have possibly imagined. Because I'm convinced that I, personally, am in deep need of being reminded. I just forget. By Wednesday, I'm neck deep, right? In stuff. And I am woefully needful of being reminded of who Jesus is and of how much he loves me and for what he's done that I could even know that, that I could even come to this place, that I could even worship alongside of all of you, that we could come to these tables here in a few minutes and remember what Jesus has done for us. That is an incredible amount of glory that I just tend to forget. And honestly, it's because I'm lazy. Like I'm just flat out complacent. And I think all of us, to a certain degree, we find whatever is comfortable, and our flesh likes what's comfortable. It likes the normal, it likes the mundane, it likes the easy, it likes the routine. And Jesus has a way of like just throwing routines out the window and just saying, here's how it is. You've got to deal with it, but I'm going to deal with it with you, and I'm going to walk with you. The wonders of what Jesus has done for us and the grace and compassion and the mercy that he shows and displays to people in that day and to all of us who would follow are an incredible mystery and an incredible glory. And the things that he says, the truth, and the way that he interacts with people in his day and continues by his spirit to interact with us today is what we hope to week in, week out, just remind ourselves of. C.S. Lewis said that I am a person who is in deep need to preach the gospel to myself daily. And our hope is that this series would be a catalyst for us on a Sunday as we go into the week to just remember daily all that Jesus has done and all that he is and all that he is for in this life. John starts his gospel here in John in chapter 1 with an incredible look at the eternal nature of who Jesus is. And he's going to very quickly get into the nitty-gritty of Jesus's physical life as he walked the streets of Israel and the countryside of Israel. But our hope, my hope for me as we dig into this together is that we would regularly look into the eyes of Jesus and come face to face with our own complacency and our own comfort and our own just kind of normal dealings with ourself and look at Jesus and go, better, more, grace, truth, and the glory of all that God has done on our behalf and that we would wake up daily living into the fact that we were loved by that king. Because if we remembered that, right, if we remembered that we are truly sons and daughters of God, then our life would continue to change and transform and evolve and to grow into one degree of glory from this degree to the next and to the next. And I believe that we have scripture and we have the spirit in us and we have the church around us that we might do this together. That our life would grow in love of who Jesus is and all that he has done for us. It reminds me from C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. So if you haven't read that book, I'll try to give you just a very quick snapshot of what's going on. So there is an enormous lion whose name is Aslan. 
And he is representative of Jesus throughout the story of the Chronicles of Narnia. And in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Lucy, the youngest of the Pevensey children who has gone through the wardrobe and has now come back and told her brothers and sisters and none of them are buying it. And then they go back in. She has seen this lion face to face before. And when she comes back into Narnia, she sees Aslan again and he says to her this. He says, so just imagine a huge talking lion, I mean, huge talking lion facing this little girl. And he says, welcome, child. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. He says, that's because you're older, little one. And she says, not because you are. And he says, no, I'm not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. And I think that's Jesus. Not so much in his physical stature, right, but in our eyes and in our hearts. As we gaze into his eyes, as we trust him more with our life, as we look at the beauty of who he is and what he's done, that every day that passes, our heart would grow bigger and bigger and bigger, and Jesus would become more and more and more in our life to the end of him being highest, best, most, and us telling everybody we know about it. And that's what happens for Lucy as she stares into the eyes of this lion who would lay down his life for them. That Jesus would be bigger and bigger as we gaze into his, his eyes. But the reality is, and Jesus knows this when he comes to the earth, that we're not one for proper responses to who God is. That we forget. That we get kind of caught up in our own stuff. We get caught up in our own brokenness. We get caught up in our own lives. We get caught up in our own routines. We get caught up in our own just kind of normalness, normalcy. We also get caught up in our own sin and in our own brokenness. And we find ourselves some days, at least I do, on a Sunday being totally jacked up for what Jesus is doing in my life. And then by Tuesday, I've completely forgotten about what Jesus is still doing in my life, right? Because it doesn't change who Jesus is. Aslan never gets any smaller or less there. Jesus is always Jesus. We just have a tendency to forget. So John puts it this way. In verse 5, he says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The truth is that darkness abounds. But light shines continually is what the original Greek language says here. Not just haphazardly, but light shines continually in the darkness. And there has, in the same way that there has not been a single night since God said, come into being, since Jesus spoke creation and light and night, day and night into existence, there hasn't been a single night that has overcome light. And the same is true on eternity with Jesus, is that there is not a single broken place, there is not a single dark room, there is not a single unconfessed sin that eventually light can and will not overcome in our lives as we are following him and as he is growing bigger and bigger in our hearts as we keep our eyes on him because the promise here at the very beginning of John's gospel is that light shines in the darkness and darkness has not overcome it and then he goes on in verse six and he kind of switches gears here but he's going to he's going to talk about what John came to do this person who would come and kind of prepare the way for Jesus and telling of all that he would come and do he says this in verse six he says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. 
He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. Again, he takes the focus immediately off of John. It's not about what John came to do, but about who John came to tell about. That he would come to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. Verse 8, he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The glory of Jesus is that he left everything he was entitled to and had for eternity to come and live among us and in his radiance would come and display the love of God, the love of the Father, that he would lay down his life in such a way that would take away the sins of all who believed in his name, that 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 God would leave his throne in heaven and come and live among us. That is the glory of Jesus. And that he would not hang on to any of that, but he would lay it all at the Father's feet and say there are millions who don't know. There are millions who have forgotten. There are millions who just plain and simply love darkness. And that's not okay. The glory of Jesus is that he left all of it to come and bring sons and daughters home. And to Israel's shame, those whom he made, those whom he gave the prophets, those whom he gave the history, those whom he gave all of the law, those whom he gave himself to in his actual physical presence, they completely forgot about him and hung him on a cross and crucified him. And yet he came knowing full well that they would do that. And the truth is that if Jesus came today, that that we would be no different than Israel in many ways. But Jesus came anyway. And the glory is that he came and revealed the grace of God to us and the truth of who God was and how we are to be reconciled to him through believing in his name, through putting all of our trust and all of our hope and all of our joy on him, that he came in such a way that we might come to know the Father. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Like that we have spent so much of our life up until knowing Jesus trying to prove that we are worth it. And that's the lie that society tells us, right? Like that if we'll just continue working hard enough that we can earn enough to then be happy enough to then finally have our joy full enough. And Jesus knows that in the same way that it wasn't true for them, it is also not true for us. And Jesus shows up in an incredibly dark time to a people that had completely forgotten. They missed all of the signs. Everything that was prophesied about him, Jesus fulfills in a lifetime. And they forgot it. And they missed it. But the the analogy that the Lord kind of put on my heart, or the thought that the Lord kind of put on my heart this week, was simply this. In the same way, and and Jesus over and over again throughout the Gospels is reckoned to be light coming into the world, light overcoming darkness. In the same way that if we as a group of people, right, like if we just decided, you know what, I'm tired of sunlight. So let's move into this cave. Or let's blindfold all of us, which is kind of a funny thought, right? All of us walking around blindfolded. Like if all of us were 
if we chose to live our life not recognizing that the sun came up this morning and that it is the thing that brings all life, all warmth, all nutrients, everything we need to exist on this rock that Jesus has placed us on, if we decided that we were going to ignore it, blindfold ourselves to it, and shut ourselves off from it, it wouldn't change the fact that the sun still came up this morning. And the same is true with Jesus. And we do the exact same thing spiritually because we're born into this condition of sin, not being able to open our own eyes. We're born into this misunderstanding of who he is and who we are. And in some senses, in many senses, we choose on a daily basis to continue walking around blindfolded, ignoring who he is and what he has done. And likewise, in the same way that it would be for us to live in a cave, we reject Jesus on a daily basis because the truth is, at the end of the day, we like the darkness. We like our stuff. We like our own sense of what we think is right. And if we reject Jesus, as millions have, as we are prone to do, as we are tempted to continue doing, Scripture is clear that we would be given over to the foolish thoughts of our darkened and hardened hearts. But in an incredible display of mercy, Jesus shows up every day. And it is an incredible privilege and an incredible blessing for us to be able to look at him and go, Jesus, you're bigger. And then he'll say every year and every day, as you take another step and another step, and it doesn't matter what yesterday looked like, but if you put your hope in me today and your trust in me today, then you will be bigger, or I will be bigger in your eyes and in your heart than I was yesterday. The reality for us is that we just have this circling back mentality of wanting to go back to what is comfortable. And Jesus, over and over and over again, is offering us a better way. He's saying, come and follow me. Come and live this life. Come and taste and see that I am the way, that I am the truth, and I am the life. And so if you're here today and you're kind of wrestling through that and you're asking, is Jesus worth putting all of my hope in and all of my trust in, my challenge to you would be to just try. Just take him up on it. Just consider what he left to come that you might come with him home one day. And put your eyes on him in such a way that says, okay, if you are who you say you are and if you claim all the things that that this word claims about you, then I'm looking at my life and I'm looking at the brokenness and I'm looking at the pain and I'm looking at the struggle and the trying to earn and trying to keep up and trying to go and go and go. And I'm looking at all of that and I'm finding emptiness and emptiness and emptiness. Jesus is saying, I know. That's why I came. That's why I left the Father. That's why I left everything I'd ever had. That's why I left perfect community with him and and the spirit. That's why I came into this world the way that I did. That's why I lived the life that you should have lived and I died the death that you should have died that you might come to me and I would say, me, eyes up here, eyes on me. And I promise that if you will fix your eyes on me, if you will set your hope on me, if you will keep following me tomorrow, I will be bigger and your sin will be smaller. Because they're, they're completely related, right? It's a one-for-one one deal. When I was first getting into ministry, there was this, this was in 2008. 
Uh, I took a group of students to the Passion Conference in Atlanta, and this is in no way a knock on any conference or whatsoever, but there was a group of students that were there, and they were all wearing shirts and hats that said, Jesus is my homeboy. You guys, if you, you guys may or may not remember this, um, but I remember thinking, oh, that's awesome. And then I remember leaving the Passion Conference going, if Jesus is only my homeboy, right, then my sin and my brokenness isn't really that big of a deal because I'm looking at Jesus right here because he's my homeboy. Now, I think there's a need for people to understand that Jesus is a brother and a friend. Don't get me wrong. That's not the point. But I think when your understanding of who Jesus is and where he came from and what he accomplished is only to the extent of Jesus being your homeboy or your friend or your brother or your amigo or whatever the case is, whatever the thing is that you want to call Jesus, if that's only it, then our understanding of what my life and my sin and brokenness caused Jesus is pretty low. But if I'll read this word, and if I'll read John 1, right? Like you could read John 1 through 4 on a daily basis, and he would become bigger and bigger and bigger every time you read it. If my understanding of Jesus over the course of my life continues to go up, then I also have a very real understanding of what my sin caused Jesus. Matt, multiple weeks ago, I forget which sermon it was individually, but... He was telling the story of someone that he knew that had been walking with Jesus for 40 years and, he, and, he, and 50 years or something like that. And he was, telling, he was basically making this statement that when we meet people who have walked with the Lord for decades, all of a sudden the way they talk about Jesus just kind of oozes out of them. Like have you ever met somebody that's been walking with Jesus for like 60 years? And the way they talk about what Jesus has done for them kind of sounds like Paul's saying, I am the worst of sinners. I am the least I believe wholeheartedly that it's because when we get to that point in our life, or if you were at that point in your life, or as you're looking forward to that point in your life, the hope would be that we would spend a lifetime growing in our love for Jesus. And now all of a sudden when we get there, we're looking at all that he's done and going, oh my gosh, why in the world would you leave all of that and do what you did for me? And we would lay at his feet and say, Jesus, you're bigger. Jesus, you're more. Jesus, you're above. The glory of what you have done for me and the way in which you have revealed yourself through the truth of your word and your grace being just kind of interwoven into my life is undeniable. It's absolutely undeniable. And so when I think about John chapter 1, verses 1 through 13, there's a, there's a few things that I felt like the Lord put on my heart as I think about what it means for Jesus to be the glory, and gra- the glory of grace and truth, or the glory of truth and grace. The first is this, is that the glory of Jesus is incomparable. If you think about what John says in those first four verses, it's absolutely off the charts incomparable. That here is this person who has always existed, who is God and who was with God and who is not the Father, but he is still God. That he came into this world as light, uncreated, always having existed, and he walked that street and died on a cross at the other end of it that we might come to know the love of the Father. The glory of Jesus Christ is absolutely and 100% incomparable in contrast to anything this world would tell us would bring us life, fulfillment, or joy. The second thing is, number two, is that the truth is very simply that men love darkness, and Jesus came to do something about it. Dead men 
cannot respond to Jesus. And so Jesus came to wake up dead men and women. That is the truth of his glory revealed in Scripture and in, his, in and by his spirit in our own life. So if one is that the glory of Jesus is incomparable, two, the truth is that men love darkness. Jesus will talk more about this in John chapter 3. The third one is that grace, the grace of Jesus, is absolutely otherworldly. That grace as we understand it, like if I give you grace, it's out of the overflow of what the Lord has done in my life. But it is because of what Jesus has done in my life that I have any capacity to give you grace, to give you mercy. Because my flesh just wants to hit you with a two-by-four and say that's not right. But in reality, I know that Jesus didn't hit me with a two-by-four, but he took on that load for me. The grace of Jesus Christ is this, is what he says in verses 12 through 13. To those who received him and believed in his name... He gave the right to be sons and daughters of God. Think of it like this. It would have been enough for Jesus to come and just undo hell. Like for me to remain other than his family and to have dealt with what my sin deserved, and that's eternity without him, right? Like that's hell. It would have been worth me falling on my face and worshiping him for the rest of eternity that he just undid that. But Jesus goes just absolutely above and beyond that. And he moves into a whole other realm of reconciliation by calling us sons and daughters. No, you are not a servant. No, you are not dead anymore. You have passed from death into life. And you are a son or a daughter of God. That is what Jesus came to accomplish. That's what grace does in the life of those who believe in him and in his name. That he came and he lived and he died. And grace says... You don't deserve it. But truth says, I did it anyway. And the glory of God is on full display in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. There are multiple places throughout Scripture, but the two that I felt like the Lord kind of wanted us to land this morning on was in John's first letter. In 1 John chapter 3, he says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Not just poured out a little bit, not just given us a sprinkling of, but see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. John writes his gospel early in life, and many, many decades later at the end of his life, John never got over this. In prison, on an island, waiting to die, he's writing about the lavishness of the love of God that we would be called children of God. I believe John got to the end of his life, and all he could see was Jesus. He couldn't see prison walls. He couldn't see brokenness. He couldn't see pain. All he saw was Jesus. Thank God for the lavishness of his grace that we would be called children of God. And then Paul writes it this way in Galatians chapter 3. He says, so in Christ Jesus, you are children of God through faith. This isn't something we earn. This isn't something we come up with on our own. It's just flat out given, paid for, purchased, delivered, in Jesus. May we be a people, right, who wake up and look into the eyes of this Savior, who look into the eyes of the one who paid what he paid, and that tomorrow and the day after and the day after that, that he would grow in our eyes on a daily basis. And we, like Lucy, would look into his eyes and say, you're bigger. And Jesus would say, I know. I haven't changed. 
that every day that you walk with me, I will be bigger. And as I grow in your heart, your desire for darkness will go away. Not completely. We're broken. We're sinful. It's never going to go away completely in this life. But as we journey with him, our hope and our desire is that Jesus would become first, most, greatest, front and center in our life. And so when we are tempted to sin, when we are tempted to look at anything else, when we are tempted to cut the corner, when we are tempted to go down the path that only leads to death, when we are tempted to do any of those things, we would turn around and just see this huge lion staring us in the face, right? And say, Jesus, you are bigger and you are enough. And it is to your glory that you have revealed yourself in truth and in grace to us. And we love you, Jesus, for that. Amen. All right, let's pray. We're so glad you listened to the Grace Auburn Church podcast. There's so much happening in the life of our church, and we could not be more excited about all that God is doing. For more information about ways that you can connect within the life of our church, go to our website, www.graceauburn.church. Thank you.